Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode of On Deck with Stancy is brought to you by Podmetrics. Whether you're a rookie at podcasting or a veteran or a super expert or somebody who's just doing it for fun since we have a little bit more extra time now that we're all stuck at home, you can actually use Podmetrics to know so much more about your show and who you're able to reach. You can get information like who's listening, where they are, what their profiles are like, even their listening habits. Podmetrics can take care of all of that and more so you can focus on creating better content. You can even integrate Podmetrics with Facebook and YouTube so you can get more data from your live streams. So if you're a podcaster or you want to start your own podcast, go check out podmetrics.co. Once again, that is podmetrics.co and sign up for free. So whether you've got hundreds of episodes under your belt or you're trying to figure out how to get from episode 1 to episodes 2, 3, 4, 100, 150, and beyond, Podmetrics can help you get to know your show and your listeners that much better. You can check it out today and sign up at podmetrics.co. Once again, that's podmetrics.co. And you can use my referral code ONDECK, that's O-N-D-E-C-K, just one word, and you can get a head start into the wonderful world of Podmetrics. Welcome to On Deck with Stan C. This podcast is produced by Podcast Network Asia. It's a podcast where I aim to tell the stories behind the real people behind the mic. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to a living legend in Long Tall Howard of DZWB Super Radio. I first heard of him on the radio, as usual, I think in the 90s or 2000s when he was back with DZRJ. And my dad would say, Oh, kilala ko yan si Long Tall Howard, he's a friend. And I'd later find out that they were part of the same group that communicated on car radios, like parang walkie-talkie at the time. And they would go around Metro Manila, and I guess that was their way of making connections, meeting people. That was their social media back in the day. And it was pretty cool that my dad was friends with these radio personalities. Um, And, you know, many years down the road, I would become one myself. But I'd never had the chance nor the pleasure of meeting Long Tall Howard until... I actually had the chance to interview him for the podcast. And that's when I learned that he's been in the industry in some way, shape, fashion, or form since 1968. Damn! That's over 50 years in the industry. And among the things he's achieved were him being part of radio stations back when they had a live studio audience. He was the first video jock back when MTV wasn't even a thing here in the Philippines. Way before Mix way before Channel V, way before MTV, he was already doing it and he was also managing the station all by himself. He's got stories about that and him moving through different stations through the years and him ultimately adjusting to being on AM radio, to speaking in Tagalog and adapting to the social media era as a radio presenter. All of those stories and more are on deck. 
But before we get to Long Tall Howard, I just want to remind everyone once again that you can now register to vote. So please do, if you haven't yet. Go to votepilipinas.com to check out the steps to register. It's super simple and easy, and the COMELEC does follow the safety and health protocol that are required given the COVID-19 pandemic. So please be part of the next national elections in 2022 by signing up today. You have a little less than a year, but that's more than enough time to actually do it. So check out votepilipinas.com. All right, I've made you wait long enough, so it's time to get to this week's guest. Long Tall Howard is on deck. This week on the show, I am talking to a very seasoned veteran, somebody who's been around the industry and is still here. And as he said right before we hit recording, he's really happy to pass down what he's learned throughout his time in the industry. I'm just really happy that I get to have a conversation with him and learn from him firsthand. Please welcome Long Tall Howard. Welcome to On Deck. Hey, hi. Uh, Good evening, good morning, whatever it is. Hello. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not sure uh, when people will get to listen to this. Uh, normally, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, people listen to it. I guess when they're trying to get themselves in the mood to work or when they uh-huh. want to wind down. So, um, yeah, uh, whatever time it is that you're listening to this, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, Long tall, Howard. It's it's my pleasure, my honor that you just immediately said yes when I uh, reached out through my dad. Um, you know, you guys have known each other for quite some time as well. Yeah. Uh, um, but you've been around, like I, I was just doing my research on you and um, you, you've been around in the industry since the late 60s. So um, have you always really been into radio or into media? Uh, okay, I started in radio in, in 1968. But prior to that, I, I was in a band, a popular band uh, at that time. And then in my early, early, early teens, I had a friend who had who was working or studying in Don Bosco, and he handed me a little uh, <laughs> piece of equipment that was his project. It was actually a mini radio transmitter, okay, mm-hmm. which, I, which I played around with at, at an early stage of my life. I attached it to uh, the clothesline, a metal clothesline, and presto, I was on the air, and you, you had to just, uh, choose the frequency, va- the, the vacant frequencies on AM, and you could broadcast from there. So it was and, like pirate radio. Yeah, but then I'd call my friends in the neighborhood because it's a very low, low power thing. I called them and they, and they listened. And then I, I put the music and whatever. It was just a little uh, thing for a little kid. But my stint in the radio uh, was accidental in a way. Uh, if you want me, well, okay, here's how it started anyway. Sure, yes, radio, yes, please. Okay, I had a, uh, I was part of a band who had the regular television show on Channel 7 in the 60s. And this was uh, a dance uh, show, and we were playing. And uh, and I had the, the, the eldest son of the owner of his station, Bob Stewart, uh, Jody Stewart was a friend of mine, who just flew in after graduating from high school in, in Australia. And so uh, we would, on free time, he would call me and come on, let's bomb around and go up to the, one of the stations and let's play around. And that's how it started. We'd go up to a radio station, their only pop station during that time. And uh, we'd send away the guy on board for, for a drink or something or a snack. And then him and I, would play around on the air. That's how it started. 
it was just a little fun thing. What was training like at the time? Because the way that you describe it, it was so informal. It was just a bunch of guys having fun and yeah. wanting to learn learn the things. So did anyone sit you down and train you properly? Uh-huh. No, uh, no, well, you observe. There's, uh, nowadays, you need, a, you need a, uh, a degree, I guess, and you need formal training. During that time, it's observed. It's uh, one thing. You're, you're uh, hanging around with the jocks on the air, okay? And then, um, in my case, since I was, I was friends of the son of the owner, so we'd go on the air anytime we wanted to, playing around. And that's how I started. It's actually hands-on. And you learn by doing it uh, on your own. Uh, first by observing how they do it, and then you, you try it out. So there was no fear on your end, like, uh, what would the consequences be if I screwed up, if I accidentally nah, said a nah. bad word on air, what would happen? So the no. owner of the station never <laughs> had, like, a mandate, like, oh, you guys need proper formal training. No, no, no. Look, it's, it's Pops Radio. Okay, pop Radio then is you can do anything. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, as far as I, uh, when I grew up in radio, when I started in radio, uh, I remember that the radio jocks in the States... Uh, had the license to corrupt the English language. And ergo, there were a lot of new uh, pop words that came out and became part of the English language from jocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so that's the first way, or that's only one way of getting into the business. Now, the other way, and what you call the formal way of trying to get into the business is, which was most, of, uh, most often are not done by the major networks, is you have to join an audition. And in the audition, you'll be shocked to find out for yourself that you're there in a studio uh, in the network, say, for example, at that time, maybe a CBN, and you walk into a theater, a radio theater, and it's a big number of people there, almost Mm -hmm. filling the entire room. And everybody's trying to go after one or two slots that are available. That's how hard it is. When you started on the radio, did you already have your voice? Did you already have that personality that uh, you would come to have? Like, was the long, tall Howard character already there? Or no, did no, you go no. by a different name? No, no, no. I, I was, well, uh, I just used my name, a regular name. But uh, on the air was a different story because prior to me going on the air while training, uh, formally with the brother of Angelo Castro was a, uh, a hidden radio than Angelo. Uh, he, he coined the name for me during that time. Uh, there was a popular uh, song titled Long Tall Sally. Okay, it's a rock and roll song. And mm-hmm. that's, where he got, uh, that's where he got the long tall, I guess, because of, I'm, I'm six, one and a half. So oh, that's, wow. prob- that's probably one of the reasons why he, he thought of the name. And it stuck. And, and Howard is really your, your real name? Mm-hmm. It's my nickname. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. You come from that generation where uh, the, the jocks really made sure to have a different air name than their legal names. Uh, yes, right? yes. Um, I, I have a lot of friends, younger guys that, that I used to work um, with, and they had names like, you wouldn't believe it, Steve O'Neill, for example. Yes, I'm now, familiar. Okay, Steve O'Neill is a friend of mine. Uh, he was a young guy that came into the radio and he got a lot of punishment from me. Called, we call it initiation <laughs> when you're new in the business. 
And so what happened is that um, he, him, and a lot of the guys during that time, including the guys, RJ, for example, AM, was one of the uh, radio stations that sounded like the American jocks. Okay, so they coined names like, uh, well, I, I can't recall, but there's a lot of names that they point, all American sounding. Yes. Okay, and that's how it started because uh, Filipino jocks, Manila jocks for that matter, were trying to sound like the American jocks, mostly in the West and the East Coast. How about on your end? Were there any radio DJs from the U.S. that you paid attention to that you really modeled your style around? No, uh, not even one. I just did my thing and uh, it happened. You know, it's, uh, my name stuck to me. Uh, the style changed from radio station to another station because you have to adopt. Uh, and uh, what is uh, what I didn't want to do is stay stuck to trying to sound like an American job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during that time, um, and I had a high-pitched voice because I was singing high notes in a band. Yes. <laughs> and I had to learn how to modulate. Uh, like right now, I'm not modulating. This is my own voice right now. But when I'm on, on the air, right in front of a mic, there is a technique. Uh, if you listen to the guy on ABS-CBN, he's yes, one Peter of Mosny. Yeah, I brought Peter to ABS-CBN. Oh, wow. uh, I got him from uh, an AM station, uh, DZXQ, I remember. Uh, in the early 70s, we met on EDSA <laughs> in a traffic situation <laughs> at an intersection. And I saw him on his car, in his car, and I, I honked my horn, and he opened his window, and he talked, where are you going? I said, um, oh, well, I'm going home. So are you still with your station? Yeah, I'm still with XQ. You want to you join my station? I said, at that time, we just opened up 89.1. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, uh, and we had a vacancy. So I, I conned him to join me. He followed me to the station, and that was it. I brought him in there to 89.1. And then when the revolution, the revolutions happened, I brought him over and uh, I, I brought him to ABS-CBN. Two of us joined forces to join the staff there. So this, is really, this part is really interesting to me because you mentioned 89.1 and that's mm-hmm. the frequency of the station I work for right now. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, through the years, it's gone through many different incarnations uh, you know, from its current one wave mm-hmm. to before uh, Dance Music Zone. Mm-hmm. At the time, uh, you mentioned that it, uh, it, it was owned by IBC, the people who own Channel yes, 3. Yes, right? right. Okay, and it was DWKB 89.1. KB- so what was the format then, sir? Uh, pop station. Mm-hmm. It was a pop station. Uh, so uh, when during that time, it's just pop, pop, and and now uh, there's a spinoff of your this. You're specializing in that. Uh, there was no dance dance music zone. Became a dance music zone because Bingo Lapson, uh at that time uh, was uh, losing people because we we left the station. And eventually, she thought of uh, creating a new format, which became Dance Music Zone. Interesting. Uh, having been in the industry as long as you have, you've seen, uh, you, you've been there 
uh, broadcasting throughout different points in history. So I'm, I'm particularly interested in the martial law time because being on the air, having a mic, the stuff that you play and the stuff you talk about does reflect the sound of the time. So did you ever feel like you were suddenly restricted from uh, talking a certain way or saying certain things because it was the martial law time? What was it like at the time for a broadcaster? For a broadcaster, if you are not a uh, uh, somebody who talks about politics, you are free to do anything. Uh, so we were jocks, and we could do anything we wanted to. We were just doing our thing the way we did before martial law. Uh, and that was it. What about the music, though? Because I, I do know that there were, there were songs, there were artists at the time that were kind of sub- subversive. Yes, yes, some bands <laughs> who were a bit subversive with their music, that they had subliminal messages in their songs. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say too subliminal, but they were sort of subversive in their themes and in their lyrics. So would you feel like, uh, okay, maybe I should stay away from this band's music or that band's music? Was that ever No, no such thing as that for, for, for me uh, and my station during that time. Uh, the only thing that I remember was banned was a song uh, sang by Major Harris in the 70s. It's called Love Won't Let Me Wait. Why, what there was, why was it banned? Because there was a girl moaning in the background. <laughs> oh, <know>? okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the only thing <laughs> that I knew that was banned on the air during that time. Okay. Uh, during these times... Um... Were radio DJs already looked up to as celebrities? Did you have uh, did you have a throng of fans that would go and visit at the radio station, or would you be recognized in public? What was that like? Oh no! Even prior to my joining NBC, that uh, uh, Manila Broadcasting was it was a uh, stu- uh, a network that occupied the building right next to the High Life Fronton on, on Taft Avenue. And they had huge radio studios. They had an audience, a live audience in the studio. Uh, unlike now, we, it's just us and a few chairs if you want. Right. But uh, during that time, there was a live audience in all of the studios, uh, radio studios, uh, whatever format it was, whether it was a, a, a Filipino station or a pop station or whatever. They had live audiences. I really want to know what it's like doing a radio show in front of a live audience. That's something I've never done, and I think it would uh, it, it would scare the hell out of me if I had to do that. Uh, I, I guess it's a blessing in disguise that we're doing radio in the time of the pandemic. Uh, before I get to that, though, and before we talk about that long, tall Howard, let's take a quick break and hear from our other podcasts here on Podcast Network Asia. Are you a big sports fan? If so, make sure to listen to Off the Record with me, Migs Bustos. Together, we'll get up close and personal with the biggest names in the sports industry. Check it out after listening to this episode. Off the Record is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms thanks to Podcast Network Asia. Catch you guys on my show. So radio at the time was done in front of a live audience. What, what was that like? Uh, what were the logistics of it all? How did people go in and out? Was it extra noisy because there was a live audience? Uh, it was a huge studio. I mean, huge. For a radio booth, as compared to the ones that we have nowadays, no, it was a huge studio. It was almost as big as uh, an average TV studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that time, anyway. Uh, but 
you know, once you, you do things, you get used to it. So this was a time when you couldn't break character. You couldn't just be yourself. And um, like when the mics were off, you couldn't be yourself because there were people watching. Ah, okay. During that time, pop radio was kind of formal. So the jocks and names like Eddie Mercado and Bong Lapira, Bingo Laxon, uh, the likes... They all had modulated voices. I mean, big, booming voices. But yes. uh, the way they, they uh, conducted their shows, it was not like a, a DJ show. It was, they called themselves announcers during that time. They didn't call themselves DJs yet uh, mm-hmm. because of how they did it. It eventually uh, moved towards that. When other stations uh, started being less formal. What do you mean when you say more formal or less formal? Oh, less formal is like we ad lib, and, and more more often than not, during their time, they had some 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 shows, not all, but some of them had scripts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. It's uh, not the typical thing that we do nowadays. Right. So the less formal is uh, probably akin to what we have right now on the FM band, where it's really you go off the top of your head and you base your spiels on what you know. Yeah. yeah. It's conversational now. Right. It's more conversational. But then then it was, you had to be, you had to follow some rules in a way. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, you know, things evolve. Right. I'm really curious about uh, about that setup though with a live audience because coming from my experience where there were times that you know pre-pandemic I could just come into the booth looking like uh, or you know wearing a hoodie or wearing whatever I wanted wearing shorts and sneakers right um, at the time then with with a live audience I'm sure you really had to pay extra attention to what you wore and how you presented yourself uh, visually. Well, yes, in a way, yeah, uh, but as I said. Uh, they always, uh, you may be right, because I remember uh, visiting Ed, Eddie Mercado once, uh, and uh, he, 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 he was in a shirt and tie. It was for me, was shocking. He, you know, uh, he's like a salesman, man, <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> with, a, uh-huh. with a shirt and a tie, and you're going on the, way, on the air like that. For them, that was the most they could do. They, they don't wear uh, coats on, on their shirts. Just a shirt and a tie. I can't even imagine doing a radio show with a tie on. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I want to ask about how radio DJs got paid at the time because there's this long-standing myth that uh, if you work in the entertainment industry, you probably make a lot of money. And radio is not that way. At least ever since the time I joined, even my mentors kept telling me, uh, you know, there, there is little money in radio. Was that always the case even when you came into the industry? No. Okay, um... Uh, now it's, uh, it's a thing of the past, but even in the, in the mainland U S, uh, there was a thing, uh, a big fiasco about broadcast guys getting payola. Okay. People got paid, jobs got paid to push records. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, if it was happening there, it was also happening here. Uh, so, uh, it actually just died down. Uh, I can say this because I was part of a recording company business too. Uh, um, okay. And uh, when the record business went down because of uh, you can now buy a record on the online, it was a different story. That's where mm-hmm. they died. 
I, I say they died. Uh, <laughs> that's a, how many people do you know would buy a brand new CD? I don't think you have friends that buy CDs anymore. You just, you just get it from, from iTunes or whatever. Or Spotify, yeah, yeah. And Spotify, yeah. So at, at most, probably, I, I would say people from, from this generation or younger would just be collecting vinyls, but not even, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, like, collecting a vinyl is not even a hobby for everybody, unlike collecting cassettes or CDs back in the day. So I, I get mm-hmm. what you're saying. Um, I, since you mentioned the payola, I, I, I might as well ask about it. Um, <laughs> how, how did people do it? What was that like? Nothing. You know, it's just, it's just you just do them a favor, like playing what their hits are, mm-hmm. okay, you give them a little extra push or you create a hit. Now, when you create a hit, you get more. Uh-huh. Your value goes up uh, as opposed to, there was a record uh, done by Cat Stevens called Father and Son. Yes, and I love so, that song. And, and we made a hit out of that song by everybody in the staff, the entire station. Uh, we, we were on from 5 a.m. to 2 a.m., mm-hmm. And um, all the guys in the staff would play the song once an hour, every hour. Okay. Was there a okay. specific schedule as well within uh, no, their shifts? No, no, no. Just, just play it within your show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, introduce it the way you wanted to introduce it, but give it a little push and, and that's it. That's how, you know, um, radio uh, during that time was easier than now because now uh, there's a lot of mediums available. And during that time, and prior to my going on the air as a jock, radio was the only medium of entertainment. Uh, when I was a little kid, oh, in my short pants then, I would come home in a rush because I wanted to listen to the radio stations that came up with a drama series, like Makwento ni Lola Basham, for one. And, and that was because there was no television yet during that time. Then TV came in with black and white, uh, so radio eventually slowly uh, lost its power the way it was before. Um, uh, what I'm saying is uh, radio nowadays is not as strong as what it used to be in terms of uh, getting a captive audience, but radio now is also on television. Yes, or okay. online. So, no, not, not really. Uh, in our station, we're, we're on the air on television. Oh, yes, that's right. So, that's right, yes. Kind yeah, of like yeah. uh, how DZMN Tele- used to do Teleradio. Yeah, yeah, I was part of Teleradio at one time, and it was, we started it in DZMM. Mm-hmm. Teleradio was the one. But uh, for Double B, we started it just uh, recently, uh, a couple of years ago, or that's one right. year ago, mm-hmm. uh, because we had uh, an extra channel. We were also running Channel 11. So, well, look at this. I look at it this way. We are still going a long way into something that we haven't gotten into, and that's digitalization. Yes. Right, right now, uh, television has already started it, but it's still in its infancy. Radio has not yet gone in the Philippines. It's not yet gone. Like if you're in the States, there's digital uh, radio already. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, but, but then again, we will eventually head towards that, and, and there's going to be more stations. Um, for, for, Manila, for Manila, we have 25 FM now. Yes. 25 FM stations. Once we, are, we started digi- uh, broadcasting in digital mode, it's going to be 50. 
I think the best way to uh, concretize this for the for the listeners, especially those who aren't so savvy with mm-hmm. the industry, is if you go to the US mm-hmm. and you tune into any radio station, whether it's an actual radio station, a satellite station, or a digital station, uh, mm-hmm. if they're playing a song, mm-hmm. you can actually see the title and the artist of the song on your car radio, as if you're listening to, to Spotify. So that's yeah. digital. But mm-hmm. uh, the way it is right now here in the Philippines, if I put on a song from Ariana Grande, you're not going to know it's from Ariana Grande unless I tell you it's from Ariana Grande or unless you mm-hmm. know it's a song from Ariana Grande. So that's probably the best way to concretize the contrast between analog and digital. One more thing is that uh, we will have to eventually throw away our radio sets in our home or in our car and change the hardware to digital for for us to achieve right. what is there there they want us to do this is worldwide by the way the, the move is worldwide the way the industry is right now for for radio presenters radio jocks is uh, you know you go on air 3 4 hours a day and then you have the rest of the day to do whatever and you know given this economy uh, just subsisting on your radio job just really isn't enough to keep the lights on so uh, at the time um, in the in the 70s and the 80s, did you have to do other jobs? Well, uh, to be serious, to be honest about it, whatever I had, what I got from radio was more than enough. Uh, it's because of the capital P that I was talking about earlier. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> it was a huge amount. <laughs> your your the salary and the talent fees that you got from your radio station from the network was not even half of what we got outside. Wow. Could you give me a ballpark? Like, uh, I mean, I know that inflation is a thing. Okay, just to give you an idea, there's no such thing as a standard rate. It, the more popular your station mm-hmm. were, was, you, the more popular you were, the more, the more you know, you mm-hmm. get. You, had to co- you can mm-hmm. command your price. Okay? Now, right. here's something else that I think uh, should have, what should happen to FM radio now. Uh, I was with RJ uh, twice, once in the late 90s, 98, I think, uh, along with the elder guys. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, <laughs> I was the program director of a senior jobs, people like Eddie Mercado and Bong Lavira and the rest. And it was funny because when I got into that station at that time, when they hired me for that, it was a different story. There was no payola then anymore, but we had what we call premium spots. Now, premium spots is an extra that some stations or networks give, um, uh, let's say, uh, the jocks in demand. Okay, it's a little extra. Uh, you can sell your, your uh, you're given enough leeway to uh, say, for example, you have a one minute or two minutes on the air, uh, every hour to sell, and all the proceeds would be yours. Okay. Wow. In ABS-CBN, they didn't have that. Uh, but prior to ABS-CBN, even as early as the 70s, there was this guy, a very popular, uh, I wouldn't call him a DJ, but an announcer, a radio announcer, who spoke in Tagalog. And he would drive around with a chauffeur, a uniformed chauffeur, in a limousine. His name was Johnny DeLeon during that time. Uh, so that gives mm-hmm. you an idea of what it is to have your own commercials. And, and when you say your own commercials, there were no salespeople getting a cut out of that. The office wasn't involved. It was really you selling uh, that airtime yourself. 
That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, as long as you don't compete with the network is the rule. Because you can't go to, uh, say, for example, the most popular soldering brand and say, hey, you want to advertise on my show? You can't do that. Right. Uh, you can't get advertising from regular advertisers that uh, go to your station through an advertising agency. However, there are advertisers that don't have advertising uh, agencies. Yes. And that go direct. We call them direct accounts, Yes, direct right? accounts. That's right. Okay. Okay. And so then you can go to your direct accounts. Damn. And tell them... And, and that's all your that is the reason why I'm still in radio uh-huh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> because it's a different story now number one most of the people that I know that have premium spots have been in the business for ages so I guess it's part of a deal uh, you come of age and then here comes your your extra bonus you know <laughs> no I, I would also say that the game has changed right now because uh, you know I um, without going into too many details because I love my job <laughs> uh, um, I, I guess salespeople at stations are also a little bit more protective now about their accounts and about uh, their job descriptions and all that so uh, I, we, I live in a different time obviously it's, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing to hear to hear stories like this but in both in the late 90s in 98 99 and in 2003 in, I went back to RJ. We put together a bunch of popular jocks of the 70s and 80s. People like Hillbilly Willie, you know, uh, and, and the sort. And uh, when I told them uh, and when I uh, uh, offered the job to them, I told them, you get a, a little extra. You get two minutes for every hour that you're on the air. And then they look at me and say, yes, you get premium spots. And without butting an eyelash, they joined me just like that because they knew already what it was. Right. They knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're used to that. Uh, if, I, if there's no premium spots, I don't, I want, I don't want to go on the air. Okay. <laughs> I mean, totally makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, that's yeah, what's worked yeah. for you. I want to talk about the differences between hosting an AM radio show or an FM radio show. Uh, You've had such a long career that you've managed to do both. But before we get into that, let's hear from our other podcasts on Podcast Network Asia on this quick break. The Beauty Authority Podcast, hosted by Dr. Vicky Bello. Hi, this is Dr. Vicky Bello, and why do I think I'm a beauty authority? Well, I've been in clinical practice of dermatology and cosmetic surgery for the last 30 years. And so what we're trying to do with this podcast is to combine the scientific knowledge and research that we always do with the practical, clinical, everyday experience with patients. So I thought this would be a nice, unique way to share with you knowledge about skincare and beauty, etc. Join me and Katrina Razon, your beauty authorities. Brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. Long Tall Howard, you've mentioned that you've uh, done radio both in AM and FM. And when you started, you were on the AM band, but AM at the time sounded a lot like what FM does right now. So what was that difference like when AM started shifting towards the more news and public affairs format and then FM started to, to veer more towards uh, what we know today with all the, all the pop music and the talk and then the different genres that specialized in certain forms? 
Well, okay, uh, going back in time, in the 60s when I started in radio, uh, there was no FM. There was not even one FM station in Manila, in Metro Manila for that matter, or the country for that matter. Uh, FM, if I recall right, started in uh, probably the mid-70s. Well, the first FM station that I know of was DZFX. It's Foxtrot X-Ray, which was uh, a standard classical format, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, you didn't get uh, you just had a voiceover. There was no live announcer. Or so it's like the master's touch right now, 98.7, yeah. I believe. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's it's uh, mostly for standards, what they call standards. Uh, standards are old songs, you know? <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> so that, that was the only thing that I can recall. Uh, FM started late uh, in the um, mid-70s, I guess. Uh, but AM during that time was king because we could... It was not all pop music on, on, on AM then. You were competing. It was, more, it was more difficult because you were competing like with stations like DZRH, which had a soap opera and uh, music and current, I mean, current affairs. And, and so you got... Uh, we we called, used to call them in the vernacular comentaristas. Okay, people who would say their thing, comment on the politics... And that's where they make their own money. I mean, you know, but you know what I mean. But, but however, um, eventually when FM started uh, to catch up uh, and FM started having pop music, that was a big change. So it was, plus the fact that FM started, I mean, it was good for music. It sounded good and rather than AM. Because uh, of the quality. So, yeah, quality, yeah. Uh, but reach is not FM. FM can only reach it, can only go as far. AM, right. can, AM, the signal of AM can go around the world. It, the, the, the propagation of an AM signal goes up to the ionosphere, down to Earth, bounces back and down and goes around. In my time during, during the CB days, it was the same thing. I could talk to somebody by chance, for example, in Puerto Rico. Because I heard him talking. Said, hey, you know, break, you know. So it's like it's AM stations broadcast that way. But the distance is not steady. I mean, right, you know, right. the signal can go off and on. Yes, yes. But for FM, we're talking about line of sight. And as long as your signal reaches that point, you're always there. This really reminds me of my intro to broadcasting class um, under Miss Pinky Aceron. Uh, the oh, way that Pinky! Pinky was a okay. <laughs> I know Pinky. Uh -huh. Mom Pinky is my uh, my favorite college professor. Actually, I, I had uh -huh. her on the podcast several weeks ago, mm -hmm. and back then in uh, two thousand eight, when I was in her class, FM versus AM. The way she would describe it is: yung FM, yung button niya mas mahina, pero yung quality mas maganda. And then contrast mm -hmm. that to AM, na yung quality uh, it's not as good, pero mas malayo talaga yung button na even the far flung mm -hmm. provinces maabot mo from a broadcast here in Manila. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I, again, for the uninitiated, that that's probably the best way to describe that. Yeah, like for example, in, in uh, my station right now, uh, our signal, because uh, us and uh, what used to be DZMM, uh, mm -hmm. broadcast on 50 kilowatts of power. Now, on FM, you're talking about 10 kilowatts of power only. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can go 25, uh, 
I have oh eighty nine point one. By the way, was when we started was twenty five kilowatts. Okay, mm, that was a par- very powerful uh, station. Our antenna and transmitter was in the the tower of channel thirteen on the top of it. Right, right. And 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 we could go uh, all the way down to the end of Luzon. But of course, these days, uh, with with all the buildings all around the country, and then uh, you know, um, towers getting in the way of one another, not just physically, but also in terms of like their transmissions. It's a it's a much different story these days. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, if, if the FM signal is once it's blocked by a mountain uh, or a building, sometimes. Uh, yeah, or, or structures, or sometimes even by uh, greens, like forests, mm-hmm. um, it, it affects the signal. For you, what was the biggest difference between going on air for an AM radio station and going on air for an FM station? Did you have to change parts of your style or your, your voice or your delivery? Nothing. N- nothing. It was just me. You know, just be yourself. Uh, uh, there's a difference between a job that sounds like a machine you know normally all of us jobs started that way title artist time check radio station Mm -hmm. because you couldn't you couldn't say you were still you know trying to feel your way yeah you were green but once Uh you yeah well once you get rid of that then you become yourself and that was a different story already you mentioned before we started recording that you're really more comfortable going on air in english so uh, you, you told me before we started mm-hmm. that in 2013, that's when you transitioned into speaking in Tagalog or Filipino because you mm-hmm. started going on air mm-hmm. for DZMM. So, mm-hmm. what was that? That like? was hell. Can you, can <laughs> you describe hell. that? Because <laughs> if you've been doing radio from the 60s and then 40, 50 years later, biglang boom, oh, magtagalog kana. What was that transition like? <laughs> okay, uh, I learned Tagalog when I was in grade four, so I, which means I grew up speaking English when I was a kid. And then here I am uh, on the air on radios for, for a long time. And all of a sudden, Peter Rabbit calls me up and <laughs> invites me over for coffee. And a few days after that, I'm on the air speaking in Tagalog. And the warning came, uh, just be yourself, he says. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a hard time because I was thinking in English and I was, I was speaking in Tagalog. That's where the mistake was. Okay. Okay, now if, however, uh, I eventually found out that I didn't have to do that. Just, we all speak Tagalog. Right. We're Filipinos, right? Yes. So just be yourself and uh, talk as though you're talking to your friends, your neighbors, your parents, you know, and, and that's it. Were your parents the type to also speak to you in English, like even with your brothers and sisters? Uh, did you also speak in English at home? Yes. Yes, even my kids right now, uh, <laughs> my grandchildren all speak in English. They don't know how to talk in Tagalog. Just a little, a few words, I guess, because mm-hmm. of school. What were the struggles like when you said that you'd be thinking in English, but you, you felt like you forced yourself to speak in Tagalog? So can you take me through that struggle? Well, uh, it wasn't really that tough for me because I was a voiceover announcer for a long time. I was the voice of Eat Bulaga. From 1982 to 1999, I just got tired of it doing it. So you speak in English and Tagalog. Uh, although uh, my job in Bulaga was more for, uh, I would go live, I would go on live if it was a special. Like, for example, we were live from Araneta Coliseum, but on the day-to-day broadcast, I would be recorded. So I go, okay. I go there to the recording studio at, at the office about, 
to three times, three to four times a week at night. There's no traffic, and that was my deal. I work at night, no traffic. I do my thing, and then I go. I'm still curious about um, making that shift because last week I I got to talk to Nicole Hiala of Love Radio, and she challenged me to try to do the interview in full Tagalog. And I'm I'm pretty confident in my Tagalog. Mm. When I do my voiceovers in Tagalog, I'd like to think I do them well enough. But then talking to someone from a mass station, I was like. I don't think I can hang on the same mm-hmm. level that she's at. That's when I realized, oh, I have a long way to go. So what's the biggest thing that an English broadcaster or a broadcaster is more used to speaking in English should be working on if you want to get that mastery or that grasp of broadcasting in Tagalog? I guess uh, the key is experience. The more you do it, the more you get used to it and the more you learn. Because up to now, I'm still learning and grasping uh, the, the language, the Filipino language. Uh, there was one time when a, a colleague of mine, Ali Soto, she texted me and says, it is not detalye. There is no word, a Filipino word is detalye. It is detalia. <laughs> you know, things like that. It's because I'm not used to using the, the language regularly. But when you're on the air mm-hmm. and then you start to pick up things because you hear the other guy's doing it. Uh, so it, mm-hmm. you learn when you're on the air as you go along. Your show right now on uh, Double B, is it still a music-centric show? Oh, it is definitely a 101% music music radio show. Um, and I'm the only one that does it in, on, on uh, the station. Uh, but the difference is now I'm talking about, I'm my catalog is I'm playing music as far way back to the 1940s even. So... I'm put. This is a difficult thing that I'm doing now. I'm putting. Mm-hmm. I'm putting together a market that knows what the music of the '50s, the '60s, the '70s are, and then I include the '80s and put a little of the '90s and new songs. I put them together. How challenging is that, or how hard is that? Because you're operating on basically seven decades worth of stuff. Yes, uh, I even I say that on the air. It's pretty difficult, but you see, you have you have guidance from people. Uh, you know that even in your station, I guess once people text your station, it comes out on a monitor, right? Okay, um, and so you know instantly what kind of people are listening to you, what kind of music they want. So I sort of you uh, use it as a guide. But of course, I have my own decisions. You know, I know what my market is, and what I've been in the music industry not as in almost all aspects of it. I was in a band when I was in my young teens. Um, I was in radio. I was the first video jock of the country. Uh, I, was, I had. I was. I guess I was the first jock that had the nerve to go on the air on, on video. <laughs> and then I was. I have been. I was in the record industry since 1969, if I recall right, until 19, the late or the mid 1980s. I want to touch on the video jock thing because uh, for a lot of people from my generation and probably Gen X, which is a generation above me, uh, we all grew up on MTV. And then this current generation is probably mm-hmm. more familiar with Mix Na. So for a lot of us, mm-hmm. uh, we look at people like uh, Casey Montero, Sarah Meyer. Uh, you know, th- those were the, mm-hmm. um, the I-, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, the first VJs. But to, I-, I didn't know that there was a video jock program in the 80s. So what was 
what, what was that? And yeah. who put that together? How did you get involved in that? Oh, I produced it. <laughs> okay. I produced it. But prior to my going on the air uh, with music videos, it was kind of easy for me because I had the access to the music videos uh, since I was with the record industry. Okay. And during that time, music videos came from the music companies. Uh, it was used as a promotion tool. Uh, so this was a time when, for me, I found a way, hey, I said, uh, I could put up something like that. But I, I, the first try that I did was I put up the first MTV cable music channel in the Philippines. And this was uh, probably 1981 or 82. Uh, mm-hmm. It was on the cable. Cha- the only cable provider then was Sining Makulay. Okay, that was the same company that was bought by Home Cable, eventually bought by Sky Cable. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I put up a, uh, a 101% nothing but well, uh, 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 a look-alike, sound-alike uh, MTV channel on cable. Uh, and then uh, I had a problem because it was an idea of mine, but the company didn't have money to to help me run the thing. I had a channel. I had one channel to my, I can do anything with, with it. But so what I did was just since they didn't have any money, no cameras, no. So uh, what I did was I just ran uh, the tracks cut to cut. And then I ran the character, the character gen, the generator uh, under it, the, the title of the artist, I mean, the title of a song, the artists and whatever I wanted to put on. I was running it for ooh, 18 hours. On I was running a, a cable channel for 18 hours. All by yourself? All by myself. I had a few technicians, engineers, and, and that was it. There was no voiceover because there was, you know, I was just being paid to run the cable channel. And I said, thank you. And then that started my idea of going on the air on broadcast television. I mean, so... Here I am. I got one hour uh, from Monday to Friday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. It was one hour Monday to Friday. The funny part was I was on the air. On, my voice was on the air on the other station. Uh, I, was, I, okay. I, bought, I bought airtime on Channel 2. Uh, it was called BBC 2 then. But my, my, my voice was on Itbulaga on the same time <laughs> on, channel, on Channel 9. So... It was it was a fun thing for me. And yeah, that's I, quite the rocket. That's quite the setup you had there. Yeah, yeah. But you had to buy. The, this, is the, this is the key there. You needed money to buy the airtime. And you know how much it is to buy airtime, an hour of television mm-hmm. time. And yep. So I, I bought primetime daytime, Monday to Friday. I put together a bunch of, there were five of us. I put up a group, a corporation of sorts. And um, I got one who was, uh, a salesperson in, in the network. I got one from an advertising agency and we, we got together. And uh, we were able to survive for a few years. And that was it. And then um, while doing that, here comes uh, one of the advertisers, the guy who owned, I don't mind mentioning the brand, but White Castle Whiskey. Again, mm-hmm. The owner comes the owner comes to me, he's, he's uh, Filipino-Chinese, and he says, Howard, uh, we have to talk. And uh, let's come over. Why don't you come over and let's have a drink or something? And we and I did. 
And he says, the first thing he tells me the moment I arrive is, I'm going to make you the Casey Kasem of the Philippines. I, I was looking at the this, this guy's out of his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on the air already on, on music television. And he says, no, well, I had this free time. I have uh, a 30-minute slot on Channel 13, uh, prime time at night, and I don't know what to do with it. So I thought, of, why don't you put in your show on that slot? And I did. So I, since it was a 30-minute slot, I put in the top five music videos of a week. And, and that was it. So those are the, first, those are the, the only two uh, things that I did as a, music, a video job during that time. Basically, the predecessors of uh, MTV and Mix. I guess it was just more, more risky for what I did to go into uh, broadcast, uh, how is this, analog broadcast uh, on a commercial uh, radio television station and take the risk of losing a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, uh, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Was it hard to transition between doing your radio, uh, being a radio doc and then being a video jock because no. it's it's a different discipline being behind the mic when you think that there are no cameras watching you as opposed to being in front of the camera and knowing that thousands maybe millions of people were watching you well um let me see you know my could be you know i had another tv uh slot or or gig and it was composed of we had the tv show on channel 2 at bbc during the early 80s uh, it was the first time that any network would put on the air um, uh, a video game that people at home could play while at home. And us as a host, Jocks as a host, we played. There were six or five of us that were chosen because it was a daily thing mm-hmm. uh, on Channel 2. What they did was they put us in between, during the commercial breaks and they would put us in. And it was a sponsored thing. And we'd play a video game. It was called TV Powell. And uh, all we had to do was get a, a participant from their house on the phone because they send in their names and details and the phone numbers by mail. And then we, ch- we pick up <laughs> the, the name of the, the chosen guy for that time, call them up, and you could uh, trigger the machine by saying Powell. Pow, pow, and it would trigger the machine to shoot. So we had baseball, we had uh, some sort of a f- shooting game, and, and during that time, you know, it just, uh, so that was another thing. So I guess uh, being a, di- a video job and doing those things were kind of related, but not, it was easier for a DJ like you and me to do what we do on, on radio and then do it on television. On video, because it's the same thing. You, you just just added a camera. So you never struggled with things like minimizing your body language or your body movements, because when you're working with the mic and just being on radio, sometimes you have to be extra animated with your body, right? So you can get that emotion out. But on TV, you kind of have to minimize that and rein it back in. Mm, it depends on what what uh, what your producers want you to do. Uh, it's the director, the producer that has a say on that. But if you ask me, look at the people who do television. They do whatever they want, except for the newscasters. But nowadays, if you notice, the newscasters are now evolving slowly. They're dancing. They're doing things. They're ad-libbing. So, uh, 
TV patrol, you know, things like that. Yes. Which were which was not the thing of the past. Uh, we're gonna take another quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what the biggest differences are between radio then and radio now. That's coming up after this quick word from our other podcasts on Podcast Network Asia. Hey, Chino Yao here, host of the new podcast on Podcast Network Asia called Class Cloud. Now, I try to learn about the world through the lives of different professionals each week alongside by another stand-up comedian. The topics are limitless. The jokes are aplenty only here on Class Cloud. As we wind down here, I'm really amazed with all these stories. And I guess uh, I, I want to start winding down by asking about the biggest differences you've noticed between radio back then and the industry as it is right now. Now that I'm, on, I'm back on AM uh, radio, oh, I sort of miss FM. Uh, but I, I like FM. However, uh, I, I forgot to mention... When I'm on the air on my show from 9.30 in the evening to past 11 before uh, we go on a simulcast with television, with GMA TV, uh, the news program at night called Saxi with Arnold Clavio goes in simulcast with my station. So I go on until that time, which is flexible. There's no exact time when Saxi comes in. Mm-hmm. So I have a whereabouts of a nine and a half hours to about two hours, uh, depending on what time Saxi comes in. I'm on the air here uh, on radio only at night, but however, I'm on FM on five key points uh, because uh, we have five FM stations of GMA, uh, RGMA for that matter, in Dagupan, in Bacolod, in Iligan, Zamboanga, and, and one or two more. So they just relay our signal. And I'm surprised because there's a lot of people that listen to me and send messages on text or even on the net to me from those places. As far as Marawi, I mean, you know, uh, I guess it's because of the kind of music I play. Uh, I'm talking about most of the time, uh, people mm-hmm. from about the early 40s to as old as they can get. You know, people who were 86, 85, mm-hmm. 79, they, call, they, they text me. They want to talk to me, but I can't. I mean, you know, it's because they probably connected with me because of the age factor. And I openly admit on the air, by the way, that I'm 74. Uh, I, I profess that, hey, I'm old, you know. <laughs> I'm not pretending to be young. Because in the first place, the mm-hmm. market there is majority of right. old people. Adults, in other words. Mm. At the time, though, uh, when you started, uh, there, there was very little way to get that feedback instantly, right? Like, unless you were in front of a live audience, which you did get to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The radio then, the only connection you had was a phone call. Right. So would you say that that's the biggest shift for you from doing radio in the late 60s, early 70s compared to the way it is now in in 2020? Yes. You get all sorts of things instantly, rapidly, depending on the volume of the traffic. And sometimes you go crazy because you get a flood of messages, of text messages, and people on the net too are trying to get in touch with you. So I'm on the air now. Uh, because since we're netcast also, uh, I get people uh, regularly from the West Coast, uh, from other parts of the States, 
and other countries that are all old people. I mean, people of my generation, <laughs> because they can't listen to. Okay, the, the key there is the music I play are sang and produced by and, and written by Americans, but are popular here. Now, there's a two, there are two different things of just playing what the DJ would do is play the American Top 40. And no, uh, in my case, I play the songs that were hits here, as opposed to things like. Um, let me see now. The Cascades and Spiral Staircase had were the only acts that had the entire album of 12 songs, all gold, here in the country. Mm -hmm. In the States, only one song was a hit for the Cascades, Rhythm of a Rain. Spiral Staircase had more today than yesterday, but down here, all the songs in the album were hits. They were all gold, and so on. There, there are a lot of songs here that were became hits in the Philippines that even uh, that even the singer didn't know that was a hit here right I think that's still a thing here even with some of the more current artists but I uh, I, yeah. I just want to give my dad a shout out because I know that fun fact about the Cascades because of my dad and I wouldn't be surprised if he knows that from listening to you oh yeah no 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 he, he knew it because he was uh, the Cascades being in the recording company business uh, the Cascades during that time was part of almost every household. Everybody had an album of the Cascades. For whatever reason, I don't know, but it was a hit, a major hit. It was a mammoth hit for them. So uh, in 2004, I went to LA because I had a tip uh, that from a friend that the lead singer of the Cascades was still alive. And he set up an appointment. I went to LA. He lived in uh, an Indian village called Tahanga somewhere. Anyway, so I went to him and found, uh, found out that he was alive and well. And I asked him, if you still sing? And he said, I do. I said, how, how about, oh, yeah, by the way, and he, he, he says, oh, I'd like you to meet uh, Tony. Tony Grasso was our drummer during that time. And he's here. I, mean, you know, I, I called him to come over. And then we put together the group. And then we did six tours of the country. Not only the Philippines, we did uh, other countries in Asia. We did uh, Singapore, we did uh, Malaysia, we did uh, Japan, you know, with the Cascades. As long as they knew the music of the Cascades, we were okay. Last couple of questions here on my end. Um, the first is, after all this time of uh, being in the business, why are you still doing radio? Because normally, uh, you know, when you hit a certain age, you'll be like, ah, retire na ako, okay na ako. Uh, but you're still here. So why do you still keep doing this? Okay. Uh, my generation of jocks, we call it a disease. <laughs> Once you're in radio, you're in it forever as long as you can do it. Uh, as a matter of fact, here's something that we did in, in, in 1998 when Naldi Casta calls me up and says, hey, join us. Uh, let's have uh, dinner. And he talked about me joining the group in RJ. They were there already. And I'm talking about the senior guys the big name jocks of the, of, of the people in the early 60s, who I call titos and titas. And we were even able to get the voice of the Midnight Radio, of Midnight Radio in the 60s. Her name is Joe San Diego. And uh, he had a big booming voice for a, for a lady. And she was in L.A. She had, she had a radio show in L.A. We fired her from L.A. We brought her back to the Philippines. She's still here now. Uh, she's she's kind of old already, but I mean, you know, uh, that's uh, the thing about the radio for our generation. And once we're in it, 
until uh, as long as you can do it, you will if you have the chance to do it. Uh, for for you guys, young guys, uh, the difference is this: uh, the number of radio stations are uh, that are available for you to join are more than what they were during our time. Uh, and I can count with my one hand the number of pop radio stations that were popular during my time in the 60s. And those were the only ones you wanted to join because you wanted to join the, per, mm -hmm. the popular ones. And, and now you, can, you have 25 FM stations in Metro Manila that can become double the number when we go digital. So that's the number. And still, my lecture to people from school when they, study, when, when they come, on, the interns, I mean, is, what do you want to be? Why are you here? What do you want to become? And they say, I want to be a, da a DJ like you, or I want to be an announcer. And say, you know how difficult it is to get into the radio business? They say, there are X number of DJs in one radio station, count them about seven or eight, okay? They're there. You have to wait for somebody in seven or eight of them to resign, to get sick, yep. or to die. I mean, that's the only time. <laughs> to resign, get fired, that's get sick, or die. Yeah, basically. You get fired, yeah. Yeah, and that's the only time there's going to be a number of, of uh, just a few number, a very small number of vacancies on, on, the, Absolutely. on the frequency. Yeah. That's the same thing I tell people. I can't believe it. It's the same spiel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then how many people graduate from from IMC, from, from, the, from the courses nowadays who want to become one like mm -hmm. you and me. I mean, well, keep on dreaming. I say. <laughs> it, it was easier. It was easier, though, during my time. Uh, if you had friends who were on the air and you hang out with them, I know a lot of people got into the business doing that. They hang around with the jocks. And then you, you become observant. You learn the trade by watching. And because you're there, and hey, you know, and you try it out, and then you become one. It happens. As a last question, um, I, I want to ask you about what you think your legacy is in this industry. Because I think uh, for, for someone who has fully embraced the fact that they've really been around and that uh, they're, they're not a spring chicken anymore, I think, I, I think you're in a position where you can't talk about legacy at this point. Nah, anyway, for me, the only thing that I'm happy about is uh, there are people that I've helped in the industry uh, all through the years, like Peter Rabbit. He got him from a small station, and now he retired as the radio boss of, of our ABS-CBN, and he's still with ABS-CBN. I mean, things like that, I'm happy. that's my legacy. Uh, I've helped a lot of people join the stations I was with, and they're still there. Uh, for people who are not there anymore, it's because of things that happened. Uh, radio station closed, like 89.1 was sold to the owners of, of your network now. Right, uh -huh. uh, to, to, um, to the Veras. Yeah, to, to, of course. Uh, I know Bobby and his wife. <laughs> so so right. the point there is um, uh, radio nowadays is not as, how to say, financially uh, rewarding as what it used to be. You can, That's one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah you can only count <laughs> because there are more of you. There, uh -huh. As I told you, there are 25. Uh, when we started, there were just a few FM, popular FM stations. And so now everybody's vying for, the, the Veras are an example. They have six pop FM. 
So uh, that's what I mean. They're vying for the same market, the same amount of money in the advertising industry. And now we get a problem. Our problem is there's uh, internet advertising is damn cheap and advertisers advertise on internet a lot. Outdoor ate up on the radio, uh, radio advertising budget too. And even television got you know, the same thing. Be, they're still feeling the brunt of losing money to ad, outdoor and uh, internet advertising. It's part of a deal. The things change. Right. And then, and then you have to probably adjust and try to evolve. I, I for example, reinvented myself uh, because Peter uh, Rabbit asked me to join uh, Raja Patrol during that time. And I had to reinvent myself. And I, I said to myself first, it, do you think I, I don't think I can act this, but I tried to, and now I'm still here. Uh, long tall, Howard. I'm just learning so much. I'm actually geeking out. Uh, I mean, I know my camera's on, but uh, I'm, I'm just smiling ear <laughs> no. to ear. I'm le- uh, learning a lot just <laughs> talking to you. So um, I just want to say thanks that you yeah. uh, gave me an hour of your time to just chit chat about your time in the industry and everything you've learned. If our listeners want to get in touch with you or if they want to listen to your show on DZBB, where can they find you? Oh, I'm on the air on DZBB AM. That's 594. That's the second station from the left on the lowest band, the lowest part of the band at 930 in the evening to past 11. And that's where you can find monster hits of five to seven generations. You will love it. And then you can talk to me uh, via, uh, we have a, uh, what we call a uh, teleconnect or whatever. Uh, oh, the text connect. We call it text connect. Mm-hmm. And all you, all you do is to dial the number nine, uh, 0917-594-5941 and your message goes into the monitor. Of course, you can talk to me on uh, the messenger, and, you know, but uh, it's as simple as that. And I hope that uh, the young kids of your generation Start learning where the music that you learn, you ha- you're listening to now came from, and you will love it. And you will, or you will realize one thing, and even, in the, even myself at this point in time, I'm learning a lot of things because I'm starting to dig up things. I'm, I'm constantly, my wife laughs at me because even if I'm not on the air, I'm, I'm on my Spotify and my, my laptop. Hey, I'm, look at you. <laughs> and I'm still looking around, scrounging around for songs that I don't have. That's and wonderful. So, that yeah, is amazing. Yeah. So it's it's nice because nowadays the old songs are being digitalized and, and sampled in newer songs as well. Yeah, yeah. Including the songs that oh, uh, I I also got into writing songs and producing songs at one time. And uh, the funny part is that. Uh, now I can listen to my songs in digital form where it used to be analog. <laughs> that's, the, that's the nice thing. Long tall, Howard. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to leave you to prepare for your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I hope that when all of this is over that I can uh, meet you in person and maybe you can have a beer or coffee or whatever. Thank you so much, Long tall, Howard. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot, Stan. Give my regards to your dad, okay? Thanks again to Long Tall Howard for joining me on this week's episode of On Deck. Man, just talking to him, it really felt like listening to stories from a parent or maybe a grandparent and them just taking you through what they got to see firsthand, what they actually got to do. 
And it was pretty trippy because it also took me back to my days at UP College of Mass Communication, just studying about the industry and learning about it. And the best part was, yung kausap ko was actually there. And so the stories that they told were real, especially the ones about Paola, which, uh, well, I never got to experience that. So makes me wonder. I wonder what would have happened if I was already part of radio in the time of Paola or Paola in English. Hmm. Anyway, the best I can do right now is just to daydream about that because that ship has long sailed. <laughs> All right, before we put this episode to bed, let me tell you once again about a way that you can support On Deck and Podcast Network Asia. Whether or not there's a big monthly sale going on, my Lazada affiliate link remains up. So just check out tinyurl.com slash ondeckxlazada. Again, tinyurl.com slash ondeckxlazada. That takes you straight to the app or the site and every successful checkout and every purchase that gets delivered to your doorstep gives me and Podcast Network Asia a small commission to help keep the lights on. So your purchases really go a long, long way towards helping On Deck remain, well, on Spotify, and wherever else you get your favorite podcasts. In the meantime, you can check out the other stuff I do, including my radio show on Wave 89.1. It's The Morning Takeover, which I co-host alongside my partner, Debbie Ten. We're on Mondays to Fridays, 7 to 10 a.m. And you can check out my other podcast here on Podcast Network Asia. It's The Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, which I co-host alongside Romoran and Chino Liao. This week on the podcast, we're talking to Filipino-British pro wrestler Tengu. All the way from the UK, we're catching up with him and talking about how the hashtag speaking out movement has really affected the wrestling landscape in the UK. And we'll also be having our regular wrestling talk live streamed on Wednesday at 7pm on Kumu and on Facebook. As for this podcast though, my next guest is another legit legend. I'm talking to an award-winning veteran broadcaster in Ray Langit and he's got so many behind-the-scenes stories behind some of his most iconic moments on the air. You can catch that on next week's episode, but until then, huge thanks to Babyface producer Nikai Lucanias and the rest of the Podcast Network Asia family. I gotta put this one to bed. So once again, my name is Stan C saying thank you very much and I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. 